only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey guys, it's another episode of the Believe in Padres Prospects Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, San Diego's number one sports podcast network. There's no Wade, but we're still doing episode 42. Got Eric Cross on the show, special guest. He's the lead MLB and fantasy baseball writer and prospect analyst for Fantrax. And he also does his own podcast, which just started called the Five Tool Pod. I encourage you guys to all check that out. And that's going to be it for the day. He and I are going to go over a lot of, uh, you know, baseball starting again with uh, Korean Baseball League, that or the Korean Baseball Organization. That's going to happen starting tonight, recording this on Monday, early evening. So by next week, we're going to have a lot of Korean baseball to talk about, plus some Taiwanese baseball. Of the They call it the Chinese Professional Baseball League in Taiwan. Um, so going over that, lots of Padres prospect talk, some fantasy talk. He's a big fantasy guy. Really enjoyed having him on. But before we get to Eric, you can still have some fun betting at betonline.ag. There's no NBA, no NHL, no MLB, but like I just said, some KBO. There's a poker, other things to bet on. Um, hit the roulette tables, the virtual roulette tables. Hundreds of places to wager, including online blackjack, poker, esports, uh, the elections. Are we still able to gamble in the elections? And the big $750,000 poker series. They're still fun to be had. So go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag. Use the promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. So let's get to Eric Cross. All right, joining the show now is guest Eric Cross. He's the lead MLB fantasy baseball writer at, and prospect analyst for Fantrax. Sorry, that was a mouthful. And co-host <laughs> of the Five Tool Pod. What's up, Eric? Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. So it's good to talk some prospects, especially during this uh, this tough time where I'll, I'll, I'll talk baseball anytime. <laughs> <laughs> How have you been holding up? How have you in um, your business, because I don't know, doing podcasts and writing stuff, um, we're both kind of in the same you know, business-ish kind of thing, um, creating content from baseball. So I was curious how your podcast is doing and um, what how you've been filling your time lately. Yeah, so luckily since I do a lot of, you know, dynasty and prospect work, whether it's on the pod or in, in written content, you know, I have a lot of ideas and I'm able to, like I, I have this whole whiteboard just full of ideas I've been, you know, picking at here and, you know, updating my rankings and updating, you know, Looking at more scouting reports, updating my my views on prospects and whatnot. So it's been uh, it's, it's been good, and uh, the pod's been great. You know, we've been fine tuning. We've been you know we're seven episodes in now. We've, we've had some audio issues, so we're we're kind of fine tuning, get it, getting everything going better. But 
Uh, seems like we're getting better every week with that. And we just had probably our best episode so far. Had Nick Pollock, a pitcher list on, talk some dynasty starting pitchers. And that was great. And uh, we're going to keep up the dynasty positional you know, look. We'll do another t- part two of our pitching uh, next week, or this week technically. And then uh, go out on the relief pitching. We'll have Alex Fast on and then uh, move on to positional. So it's, it's been going pretty good. And just trying to keep my uh, my two children entertained as best, best I can. And uh which is not the easiest <laughs> task in the world at times, but you know, do my best. Yeah. That seems like the hardest part. Um, yeah. really, <laughs> I'm grateful that I don't have any other things that rely on me to survive. Cause I don't know how I would be doing that and this <laughs> and keeping my own sanity all at the same time. Right. Um, with, I've kind of found out that like, even though there's nothing, there's no news with baseball relative to playing and fantasy and stuff, which I'm, I'm a big fantasy player too. I do dynasty leagues. I do. Um, I'm in a best ball league on prospects live. Did you, were you part of that too? Yeah, I am in one of those. I forget. I, I was in, I missed out on, you know, they had those two different um, entry fees. I, I, I'm in one of the lower ones. I, I, uh, told, I, I thought I already had gotten in. And then I had, uh, I think it was Smada messaging me. He's like, hey, you still going to do this? I'm like, oh, crap, I thought I got in already. <laughs> so I, I missed out. I didn't get a spot in one of the uh, bigger money ones. I was kind of bummed out. But, yeah, that's on me. I thought it was. But, yeah, I am in one of the uh, the lower $50 ones, I think they are. Yeah, I'm in the 250 League 2. Yeah. Whatever that's... that means. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was looking forward to that this year. And it's it's a bummer that we're going to be delayed. At least. I hope we're just delayed for a while. But I fa- I've kind of found out doing the podcast that, I mean, it, this is supposed to be a prospects centric show, but I've, mm-hmm. I've kind of had fun just filling in the weeks. Uh, I do a weekly show and I've had fun getting different guests in and me and a, a buddy are doing like historical viewings of old pottery games and like kind of recapping them. Um, it, it's kind of been fun figuring out new creative ideas to just fill the content. I'm sure you've had kind of a similar experience. Oh yeah, for sure. And, uh, and my co-host, the the usual host of the Five Tool Podcast, Jake Devereaux, he uh, at Over the Monster, a Red Sox uh, site. He's been doing something like that, where he's been going back over making the like their all time like best like twenty six man roster. Um, he's doing like this one article on every player on that twenty six man roster. So yeah, it's kind of got to get interesting to kind of fill this gap with content, especially you know a lot of the writers that just focus on the redraft side of fantasy baseball. That's hard because nobody's really thinking about redraft right now until mm-hmm. we have any, any concrete idea of when the season's going to start. And we've been hearing rumors, you know, out the yin yang of, you know, it's going to start this day. It's going to start this day, but you know, we don't know yet until MLB comes out. Like we all want to believe it when it, whenever we see a report, but you know, but thankfully, you know, on the dynasty side, there's a, you get a, still got a little bit more stuff to write about. And like, so you can, you know, do rankings and you know prospects and and do mom I'm, I'm organizing a mock draft a dynasty mock draft with the Fantrax dynasty podcast as well kind of like a joint um thing between our two podcasts get some other industry people on just to fill the time and have something else to talk about <laughs> i think fans do like that stuff too any kind of yeah. like redrafting or drafting or prospect drafts um just see uh, lists making i don't care what it is i think fans all always enjoy kind of seeing that kind of stuff just because it's it's kind of like the the building your own team kind of aspect of it that's why we like video games and um, we like to practice being a gm right exactly that's that's the whole thing about fantasy baseball you know i always grew up 
I think one of my articles, I started out, you know, saying something along the lines of everybody's wanted to be that GM at one point, or you, you yell at your, your real life team's GM, like, oh, I would have made that trade, or I would have signed this guy instead of this guy. So that's, that's the beauty of fantasy baseball and especially dynasty where you, you have that control. And obviously it's, it's not real. It's just a, you know, fun little game we can play and win a little bit of money or some bragging rights, but it does. It's, it's funny. I haven't, I keep going to check my teams like at least every few days. Even I know there's nothing's changed, but it was like I'm I'm missing that like checking the scores and seeing who's doing well and fixing my lineup and looking at trade offers. It it, it stinks, and I'm hoping to get some of that back soon. I'm in the same habit. I it's on my favorites bar on, or on my bookmarks bar on my computer. I'll just I'll just click on it. Like, is there any new update on this today? Right. No, there isn't. It's, it's almost in- instinctual. You're like, you know, nothing's changed, but like your, your finger just goes over there and clicks on it or on your phone or whatever. It's just, like you just do it out of habit. I'll get, I'll click on uh, like the news section on the site and it'll be something that happened. I don't know why it's being updated now, but it'll be so-and-so is doing this in spring training. I'm like, yeah, I know, but that was, that was months ago. <laughs> Why is this? Still, but I'm, ex- I'm ex- still excited to read. I'll read anything that's fresh. Right. I, I saw one that it was like, Luke Voigt is staying in shape at home and will be ready for the season. I'm like, okay, like, thank you for letting me know. <laughs> the best are the videos of the guy staying in shape. Cause yeah, I know, but I know you're staying in shape. I want to see the stuff um, like Rick Porcello throwing a baseball through his window. That's the only time I want to see those videos. Right. Yeah. Or like I, I saw a funny video that I, I retweeted out. It was of uh, Wander Franco just throwing top big old tires around and everybody loved that. It's just everyone's just itching for any type of content. And you know, thank God we'll be able to you know, ESPN figured out how uh, an agreement to air some of the KBO games. So at least we'll we'll have that. Yeah, I, like I told you, I, I don't know too, too much about the KBL. I've been dug in a lot. On all, on all the uh, Asian leagues, especially the KBO, but I'm going to watch it. I think it starts at like 1 a.m. my time on the East Coast. So yeah, I'll always watch probably an inning or two just to get some sort of baseball fix here. I was going to ask you about that. Thanks for for leading into those. Um, I'm very excited. I actually used to live in Korea. I taught English. Oh, wow. And uh, I lived in Busan. So I'm a Lotte Giants fan. And mm-hmm. they've been historically one of the worst teams probably in the KBO. <laughs> but uh I didn't realize they have Dan Straley on the squad this year. So I'm excited to watch them. That's I didn't right. See, he is over there. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't see him. I didn't see them on the schedule coming up, but I'm kind of just excited for any baseball. And uh, for us here in San Diego, it's going to be on at 10 o'clock. That's kind of perfect for me. Just a thing to throw on baseball right before bedtime. Uh, yeah. That, that, that's, a, that's a lot easier than 1 a.m. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm really excited for it. I've never, I didn't even watch that much when I was over there because I didn't have television that could watch Korean stuff in my room, but went to a few games and they're, they're really fun and energetic. And I'm, I've never been more excited for Asian baseball. Um, on ES- I think they should have this more often. I mean, what else does ESPN have to put on except for sports center, the, the 10th viewing, um, of the same show at night. Why don't, why not throw on a KBO game or a Taiwan game, especially if, uh, there are MLB players that used to be here that are over there now. I think it's a good idea. Oh, absolutely. And they, they can do it on all sports too. Like, like you said, you, you hit it right in the head from like basically, you know, 1 a.m. through when they get back to the, the morning cycles of Sports Center. It's it's a lot of just crap. And, you know, yeah. It's, yeah, there's not many people up there from 1 to 6 a.m. But, you know, for all those night owls or people that are working overnight or whatever, you, they can do it in, you can do it with baseball. They can do some, you know, Chinese basketball league games or, you know, that they can kind of really tap into that market. And maybe this is the start of it. Maybe this agreement they worked out with the KBO, maybe that, maybe that's the start of it, or maybe that's, you know, just for this time until we get MLB back and then it'll be done with it. Who knows? But I, I, I'd like to see them continue with that for sure. 
And I think Vegas should absolutely be supporting this. Vegas, New Jersey, all the gambling hubs, mm-hmm. because you're more likely to bet on stuff if you can actually watch it. You don't really care. There's enough degenerates out there. You don't care what it is as long as oh, it's on TV and you can watch. Yeah, people bet on anything. It's ridiculous. I, I, I don't know if you've watched the Michael Jordan documentaries. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And like, like the one last night where they're betting on you know throw him and one of the security guys throwing quarters so you can get closer to the wall. It's like some people will just bet on anything they can. I can't wait. I was just thinking watching that. I can't wait to try that with some friends. The second I'm at someone's house, you know, having some. Oh, yeah, it's super easy. Yeah. Drinking, um, watching a game or something. Just do that on the side. Just make a couple extra bucks. It looks really fun. I've never seen that played before, but I'm all in. I I can see myself wasting like two hours doing that. Like all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's 2 a.m. when that happened. Get way too good at it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, let's get into some Padre stuff here. We, I mean, should stay on topic a little bit. Uh, although I appreciate some good baseball talk, no matter what it is. Uh, I saw on your Twitter account. So Chris Paddock versus, uh, Tyler Glasnow, you had a poll up where, what was the, um, kind of the rationale for that? Where did that poll idea come from comparing the two guys and did it kind of play out the way you thought it would? It did. Yeah. We, uh, it stems back from the, our podcast last week on the five tool pod where we had Nick Pollock on and we kind of got into a subject a little bit about you know, kind of two pitch pitchers and so that's kind of and obviously paddock's on the two pitch guy you know he has a curveball he threw around 10 percent of the time but it's not good so mostly he's the fastball change up so that kind of stemmed uh, like all right you know those are the big two names when you kind of think two pitch guys that, mm-hmm. that were both in our top 25 uh, consensus dynasty rankings that we put out for starting pitchers and it, it played out pretty much like i thought you know because i have paddock uh right around ninth in my dynasty pitcher rankings in class now uh, I think I don't for me twentieth, twenty first, and it, last time I checked, it was about a two third to one third split towards Paddock. So it did play out like I thought. Well, See? we're excited about that. I mean, we I think we were a little too. I mean, it, just judging by the the crazy people on Padres Twitter. Probably a little too enthusiastic about Paddock for what he's going to be. I don't I don't see him ever being like a true ace, but. I we're definitely love the stuff. Like you mentioned, I think he needs a third pitch and he's, he's been working on stuff kind of uh, secretly behind closed doors. I think working on that curveball, mm-hmm. and um, if he can develop a third pitch things, I mean, obviously things can change, but for what he is right now, um, I just hope, I just don't want people's expectations to be too high I, over right. Tyler glass. Now, I think that's a really good comparison. I think those guys are close, especially with glass. Now's resurgence last year it was a top prospect. Didn't wasn't working out then kind of exploded again finally and then uh, got hurt, I think, to fin- finish his season last year. But um, I thought that was it was right on. I was surprised a little bit that Paddock was getting so much more love, kind of the East Coast versus West Coast. Yeah, that, that could be it. You know, the, the reason why I, I go Paddock over, and I like Glassnow too, but obviously you mentioned one of those things that Glassnow has had a hard time staying healthy. And yes, Paddock you know, had the surgery a couple years ago as well, but mm. it doesn't seem like he's in like a walking in uh, IL stint waiting to happen like glass now is I got every time I see glass now pitch I'm just waiting for him to tweak something and go back on the IL so that that factors into it and then another thing that I always look at and something I've been focusing more and more on as I get more and more you know, into the scouting department is command and control and something I've been valuing a lot more lately and you know I give Paddock the edge there you know except the curveball it's a work in progress I had I did hear the same thing that He's been working on it. So hopefully that can turn into at least at least an average. He doesn't need to be good with it. Just like average, I think would be great. But and I and I do agree with your assessment on Paddock. I don't think he's going to be an ace, but I think something a comp that I've has you know, popped into my head lately is 
kind of like a Kyle Hendricks, but with like more strikeout potential. You know, Kendra, like Kyle Hendricks. He's been like, no, nobody likes Kyle Hendricks. He's kind of boring, but every year he's just you know produces. You know, he's one of the top. You know, I'd say what thirty or so pitchers in the league, and you know he's just there. He produces solid ratio. Doesn't really have a lot of those blow up starts. But he doesn't strike out too many guys. I think Paddock will have more strikeout potential, especially if he does get that curveball a little better. But it's someone that's supposed to be a really, really good pitcher, like a really good number two for a long time. But you know, maybe that's a number two behind Mackenzie Gore once he gets up. But you know, I, I think I think he's gonna be a good complement to you know Gore and Patino, and this would be a really dominant one, two, three for a long time. Man, I hope so. And if those guys all stay healthy and reach their potential, it'd be, it's gonna be a really fun top three another big we, the age of the big three pitchers have kind of has kind of gone hasn't it didn't it used to be the last really good ones um i'm thinking off the top of my head the the a's obviously in the early yep. 2000s and then before that like the the, the braves. braves yeah the braves but other than that the big three pitchers you could the potters could grow their own and it could potentially be one of those level uh trios in my mind Oh, for sure. And and it doesn't even stop there, too. Those are the three everyone talks about, and rightfully so. But, you know, you look you look up and down this, you know, this system. And obviously, they have Dennis Diddleson Lamette, who, you know, he's kind of can be shaky, but you know, he could be like a, a high strikeout number four type of starter. And they got, you know, I, I still have some hope for Adrian Marejan to do something. And you know, they got Ryan Weathers in the lower levels and Joey Cantillo. So they can really. They could really mix and match here. Obviously, you know, I think those three we just talked about are probably locked in, but you know, they have a lot of options for the you know to fill out the rest of that rotation. You know, Garrett Richards is there too, and he's been good, but obviously hurt all the freaking time. But oh, yeah, this would be this would be really good. You know, a couple of, and don't forget, like you know, people someone that people always forget about, and he hasn't pitched in like forty three years, so I get why. But Anderson Espinosa is, is was a top twenty five overall prospect. Mm-hmm. Three, uh, was it 2015, 2016 or so back when he was still with, with my Red Sox. So yeah, he hasn't pitched since like August of 2016, but you know, that, that upside is still there. So you know, maybe he's a bullpen arm going forward because he, you know, the smaller frame, all the arm issues, shoulder and elbow, which is really, really worrisome. So maybe they move him to the bullpen. They probably should down the road if they want to get anything productive out of him. But, you know, and then, you know, throwing like a Mikel Baez, who's could be a nice bullpen arm and, Reggie Lawson, they, there's so much pitching talent in this system that they could have a nice homegrown rotation and, you know, half their bullpen as well. So, yeah, yeah if, I was, a, if I was a Padres no, fan, I'd be excited. There's no, it's great because there's no pressure on a lot of those other guys, those second-tier guys, to have to make an impact in the rotation. Like even Joey Cantillo, who probably profiles better as a starter than a reliever because his stuff isn't maybe as explosive. But there, and, and Baez, there's no there's no pressure on Baez or Morahone or Weathers to – to have to make the rotation and be an impact guy right away. They can slide in as a four or five. They can come up through the bullpen, um, kind of like the route. Some of the, some of the guys with the Cardinals used to do like Wayne, Wright. You start the guy in the bullpen, you keep him as a long guy. Maybe you make him a closer and then see if, you know, if an opening presents itself, then there you go. But I like that the, the depth here enables them to, they don't have to rush any of these guys. Patino, Gore, Paddock are, are the dudes, but the lower level guys, um, could could make just as big an impact in the bullpen and be really good in the bullpen, save a lot of money. I absolutely, you know, you hit it right on the head. And you know, the Padres have been obviously a, one of the systems that does like to push guys a little bit more. We know, obviously, saw that with Tatis mm-hmm. and Paddock last year. 
And we could see that with Gore and Patino this year, but you know they don't have to. Obviously, people want to see results. You know, everyone's been talking about how good this Padre system is for the last handful of years, four or five years. And yeah, you know, they started producing some of these guys, but I think you know this is the time. Like, all right, let's start seeing more and more of these names come up and actually produce at the major league level. You know, obviously we got Tatis and Paddock, but let's let's get Gore up here, let's get Patino up here, let's get Taylor Trammell up here in the next year or so, and Marejon and. Then you know a little bit further down the road, C.J. Abrams and, and guys like that. But I think I think you see some of these prospects turn into some really good ball players and you know fill out and even on the offensive side of things too. You know obviously the pitching kind of takes the forefront here and you know, rightfully so. But you know, there's a lot of good hitters in this system too, and they'll probably add another you know one or two in this draft as well. So my co-host uh, Wade, who isn't here today. We probably love you. Um, I just noticed that CJ Abrams is in your top 10 overall dynasty prospects. Yes. And I think obviously uh, everyone really likes him, but you seem even higher than Mo. Probably one of the more aggressive uh, people I've seen on him. One spot after Gore in your rankings. What's your reasoning for being this high on him? Um, he hasn't even played a full season of pro ball yet. And he's, he's basically only played rookie ball to this point. He has. Uh, I, I've done a lot of digging into C.J. Abrams, and you know, after the draft, I liked him quite a bit. I think I probably had him around twentieth to you know or low twenties in my rankings. Maybe it was high teens, and I had him behind for for that draft class behind Andrew Vaughn, and then if you factor in the the J two guys, Jason Dominguez as well. But the more and more I look into C.J. Abrams, more video I watch. And, you know, I, and I've talked to a few scouts, um, what, a scouting friend of mine that covers a lot of the Arizona. Saw a ton of C.J. Abrams and just couldn't stop raving about him. And he wrote an article and he was he listed him as the number two player in the Arizona League behind Marcos Luciano of the Giants. So, you know, everything I've heard about Abrams is just glowing as glowing can be. And like I said, I've just been watching so much video. Obviously, the speed is double plus to 80 grade, depending on where you look. I have it probably more down towards 70 grade, but still, that's ridiculously fast. You know, a, a who's it? Ray Butler of Prospect 365 threw out the name, you know, Trey Turner, which I like. And I had thought about that name as a, as a comp, too. And I think he might even have more power and maybe even a better hit tool than Trey Turner. You know, his... You know, he puts the ball in play a ton, does not strike out a lot, can work the count, can use all fields, hits the ball hard. So I think the power, obviously, is the last thing to come. And I think it can. I think he, assuming he adds bulk, he's still got some projection left on that frame. So I think he can add a little bit of bulk here before his development's all done and just start driving the ball more in the air. I think there's 20 homer pop, maybe even, I think, 25 at peak. Like, as a ceiling, best-case scenario, I think that's in play. I think you could see him, you know, when he gets to be 24, 25, 26 in that range, have some of those low 20s home run seasons, go along with a 280 to 300 average, 30, 40, the 40 steals, just that all around package. You know, and when you factor in, you know, when you put towards a, a fantasy aspect, look how highly Trey Turner has been valued in fantasy leagues for a long yeah. time due to, due to that speed and the fact that he's not just a decor and he can also hit hits for average, hit a little bit of power as well. So I, I think how speed gets valued and the fact that Abrams can bring a lot to the, to the table as well at the plate. I think that's going to make him just a, an absolute stud and someone obviously he's probably going to hit first or second in the order, score a crap ton of runs as well. 
So I think this the fact that he's going to be probably a stud in four of the five categories. And, you know, maybe RBI, he doesn't get a lot of that hitting up the top of the order. But this guy is just like an all-round stud offensively waiting to happen. And whether it happen, you know, whether it probably won't be at shortstop, obviously, with Tatis, maybe at second base, maybe at center field, who knows. I've heard people say, oh, I don't want him if he's not a shortstop. Like, what, you don't want a guy that can maybe go 300, 20, 40? I don't care what position you're at. That's a damn good season right there. You know, someone that would be like a first-round fantasy talent. So, you know, obviously, it's a long way to go. Like you said, he hasn't played his first full season yet. And obviously, this year doesn't help. But, you know, I, I think this is a guy that definitely has that potential to just be an absolute offensive stud when you factor in his, his contact skills, his approach. The budding power, if that continues, like I think it can, and obviously the elite speed as well. Do you see him progression-wise being like one level per year, kind of like the standard, or um, do the Padres makes an adjustment with him being like such a dynamic player, kind of like they did with Paddock or Tatis, moving him up more aggressively? What do you think his timeline is like? Is the Padres Preller is kind of building the team to win right now? Do you think he's up in maybe two or three years? I think he can. I think he's he's a more advanced prep bat than most. So I think you know he'd probably start this year if we have a minor league season, probably at low A. I could see him getting you know some couple months there, moving to high A. Whether he has enough time in this shortened season, who knows? But kind of in a general sense, I could see him you know after a couple months going to high A, then maybe starting back at high A next year, double A, and maybe seeing him you know, 2022 to maybe 2023 at the latest. So I, I think it's due to the the contact skills and the approach. You know, he's he's a more advanced hitter than most his age that you'll see. So I do think he can move a little quicker than, you know, one level per year and you know, maybe one and a half levels or, you know, two levels one year, one level the next uh, once he gets up into the higher minors. But, you know, I think that plus the kind of the, the MO of this Padre system, especially – you know, and they don't push everybody. That's, you know, people think they push everybody. They don't. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they have to show that they can handle it, obviously. And I think Abrams is going to be one that can. You know, I think I've seen from him so far, you know, it looks like this guy's going to be the real deal. So, you know, we'll see. Obviously, he's still only one thing. So, eight, I don't even know if he's 19 yet. Um, if he is, he's barely 19. So, but it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. But I do think he's one that can move quicker than most high school bats you see. What have you thought of the Padres' draft strategy since Preller started? They seem like they kind of alternate years where they go really high upside, high school prep player, uh, either pitcher or hitter. It doesn't really matter. Just who's who's the best on the board? It seems like Preller just has his list. Who's the best guy? I don't care how close they are to the majors. I don't care about development time. Um, but then like, so he takes Mackenzie Gore, he takes CJ Abrams. But then he, he, he on the other side of that, he's also been kind of prone to go the safe route with, I thought, the, the Cal Quantrill draft. I thought he was trying to play it safe, uh, save money in the first round, um, and then overspend second, third round, go get guys like Hudson Head or something. Um, so he's kind of all over the place in terms of strategy. Do you have you liked the Padres? Uh, I mean, a couple of them have been really good prospects so far, not much major league success. But what have you thought about their their draft strategy since Preller took over, and where do you think they go in the draft this year in in that sixth spot, or is it eight? I forgot. Uh, it's yeah, it's eight. I thought it was six. It is eight. Yeah, so I like the fact that there's one best player on the board. You've seen, you know, Cleveland's another team that's done that as well, where they don't really care about proximity, especially when you're a team that already has a pretty good farm system, where you're not like 
desperate to get like uh you know Casey Mize or someone like that in your system that like okay I need this guy to contribute next within the next two years. You know, Padres already have, you know, a pretty solid major league roster. They already have obviously arguably the best farm system in baseball. So they can afford to take, especially right now, you know, maybe it changes in five years, maybe the system looks different once all these guys are up. But right now, in the current state of their system, they can afford this, hey, let's take the best guy on the board, and who cares if he's two years away or four or five years away? And I like that. And when you also you have a, a good player development team that you tr- have faith in, uh, which they do, you know, that makes it even even easier to do make those types of decisions. So I have it. I think they're, they're going to go another high school player here. I've had it narrowed down to a few. I can see, you know, looking at their system right now, they're a little lighter, you know, in the outfield. Yeah, they have some good names out there, but, you know, a lot of their top guys are, are infielders and they don't really have a lot of big power in the system. You know, yeah, Hudson Potts, but, you know, he's kind of the jury's still out on him if he's going to be, you know, a, a major league regular for them. But, so I can see them going with like a guy like Austin Hendricks, a guy that's got some nice power outfielder from uh, Pennsylvania prep ranks. And if they don't go him, as I don't think they'd go college bat here, you know, maybe a, a Heston Kajerstad. I'm probably butchering that last name, but may, maybe they go with him. But I do think they stay kind of at in the pitchers or the uh, high school prep guys. And you know, there's a lot of good pitchers, obviously. For pitching, you got Tor- uh, uh, Lacey and Hancock as the top two, kind of like the n- tier one of pitchers in this class. And then you got a big old cluster it kind of in, in tier two. You, know, you got a couple of the, the college guys like Max Meyer and Reed Detmers, but there's a few good high school arms too, where I think they could go someone like a Nick uh, Bisco from Pen- and also another Pennsylvania guy, a Jared Kelly from Texas. You know, Mika Bell from Oregon. I think one of those three could be, you know, maybe could find his way to San Diego with that eighth pick. I've seen, you know, a lot of mock drafts that have, you know, some combination of those four in that general ballpark where the Padres are at eight. So it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if they went that route. I don't think Zach Veen, I think they would take Zach Veen if he's still there. But I think just with Veen's showcase during this spring and on the amateur circuit, I think he's going to go before eight. Like uh, prospects live just did a great uh, mock draft uh, live stream with thirty different, or maybe it's more than thirty. I think it was more than one person per team, maybe. But uh, when they had kind of prospect centric team account analyst making the picks for their respective team, and Veen went, I think, fourth in that to Kansas City as the four pick. So, and I've seen a lot of. You know, mock drafts with Vien going before eight now. Well, the buzz that's you know around him lately. So I don't think he'll last to eight, but I I could definitely see Hendrick. I've seen him go anywhere from like seven, eight range down to like the mid teens. I think he'd be there, and I think uh, one of those three, at least maybe two of those three arms, will be there for the Padres eight too. So I think one of those four is the way they go. So I'm gonna put your feet to the fire here. You named a ton of dudes. Who are who are you hoping is there if you're the Padres picking eight and then. Um, I guess who's the guy that you you expect to be there? So who's like your 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 top you know your number one scenario? Yes, this guy fell to us. Like maybe it's Zach Veen, and then who's the one you expect to be taking? I, I think Zach Veen would be the best case scenario. While well, I don't think he's going to, I think there is a chance he falls to eight because you, you know I said there's a lot of good pitching and, and pitching is always you know some teams focus on. 
So I could see, you know, there'd be a run of pitching, you know, with the, all the, the guys I just named, the Demers, the Myers, the Abels, the Kellys. So I think you could see a run of pitching after, you know, the top five, the six, I think is fairly locked in. You know, you, you got the Torkelson, Martin, Hancock, Lacey, and then Nick Gonzalez, I think I'll go no lower than six, any of them. Mm-hmm. And then you, you'll probably see, you know, someone jump up with them into that top six. So maybe Veen drops, but I think, I guess I guess I'm going Jared Kelly. That's the name that kind of sticks out the most to me. He's a, you know, big, big righty from Texas, you know, electric, electric arsenal, uh, six, three, you know, get some good command, good, uh, good four pitch arsenal as well. So I could see them going uh, with him at, at that spot. I really like the the best player available approach. It's it's baseball. It, these guys take a long time to develop. I don't care about position. You know, I don't think anybody should care about what position. Like, oh, we have too many arms in the system. I don't want to draft a, a pitcher. Well, that's really dumb because pitchers get hurt all the time, and you can never have too much pitching. And uh, things happen at the major league level. It doesn't it does not matter. Like uh, even in, in dynasty baseball, if I remember, this is a good example. Um, years ago, I had Mookie Betts is a uh, is a second base prospect come up the Red Sox. You're a Red Sox guy. So you remember this. Um, And I was, I was thinking about flipping him for someone. This is before he became the Mookie Betts we know. And uh, the guy I was talking with was like, yeah, they've got Dustin Pedroia at second. I I, I don't really want Mookie Betts. How about this other, I think he wanted Nick Kingham instead. And looking back at how, what's, how stupid is that logic where you don't want the talent because of the position? It doesn't, if the guy's good enough, you'll find a place for him to play no matter what. And I feel, I feel the same way about the draft. However, because the Padres are, have been rebuilding for so long, it seems like, and they're, they've started to construct the roster in a way at the major league level that is close to competing over the next one, two, three years. If you have guys on your board that are close to each other, let's say Zach Veen, you have at eight, and you have Garrett Mitchell, a guy you haven't mentioned yet, at nine, who's probably closer to the majors, can help you in a year or two, and Veen is maybe four or five years away. Where d- where does that line become blurred with, okay, we have these guys right next to each other. Mitchell can help us next year or, or maybe two years, and Veen is much further away. When does it start to make more sense to take the college player? And what do you think about Garrett Mitchell? Because I'm a big Garrett Mitchell guy. I'm a big Garrett Mitchell guy as well. You know, he's uh, he's inside my top ten overall. Uh, I definitely think that that could be an area they go. Um, so I think he's he's got the he's a power bat. Or he's got he's, he's not power bat. Let me phrase that. He's got some decent power. He's obviously got some good speed, nice hit tool. I think he could be a nice all around player. But you know that line that's that's a tough line. I think it all depends on you know how much faith they have, how much confidence they have in their current kind of outfield contingent at the major league level and in the minors. And I think they have enough, you know, between when you look at the prospects they have, plus the guys they already have at the major league level, and they have a pretty, you know, good, you know, you know, they just got Trent Grisham and they have, you know, Will Myers is still out there. Obviously he's making a lot of money and not doing a lot, but he's, he's going to play. So, you know, they, they still have a lot of guys out there that can play. And then you add in Taylor Trammell Maybe C.J. Abrams moves out there at some point. You know, Edward Edward Olivares is a very underrated guy that could be. Love that guy, yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe he's you know just a high leverage fourth outfielder, but I think he could be if if given the chance, a potential to you know start. I think he could fit in well. 
but yeah, it is it is tough. I think, like I said, it depends on you know how they feel about their current outfield core and how they see. You know, I think the big thing would help would help be how they see C.J. Abrams. Do they see him as a guy that can shift over to second? Do they see him as a guy that can move up the center field, which I think those are the two likely, the two logical ending points for him. Obviously, you got Tatis and Machado on the left side of that infield, so. You know, he doesn't really have – he doesn't really profile as a corner guy. Obviously, he's not going to first base, but the second or center field. So, I think that'll, you know, be a big determining factor if they go, you know, a guy like Garrett Mitchell. But, you know, to get back to your other point, too, where, you know, a one of the, the local sports talk radio up here in Maine, one, one of the two hosts, when it comes to prospects, he's always had a saying, these things have a way of working themselves out. You know, you think, oh, they got all these pitchers. How are they going to fit them in? It'll work itself out. You know, someone will bust out. Someone will get injured, you know. So that's why prospect, you know, depth, position depth for prospects, whether at the major league level or in fantasy, I think is overrated, especially more so overrated in the fantasy side where you can you can make trades. It doesn't matter if, it, oh, I, got, I already got these four great shortstops. I don't need a fifth. Why not? You know, if he's better than the other person you're looking at, take him. You can make trades, people, and in this day and age, prospects are always moving positions. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's it's rare. I, I'd love to see the percentage. Obviously, there's no way you could figure this out, but like, what was position they were drafted or signed at when they're you know coming to high school, college, or you know Dominican Republic, Venezuela, wherever, and then where they end up playing when they get to the majors if they get there. It's like. I bet you there's at least 30 to 40% end up at a different spot, especially these young shortstops. Not everyone can play shortstop. You look at all the all the international guys, like they're all shortstops. Like, okay, you can't have 800 shortstops in the major leagues. It's just not how it works. Mm-hmm. So, so especially when you're in the lower levels of the minors, like a C.J. Abrams, it doesn't matter. You already have shortstops, fine. You already have too many outfielders, whatever. Go for the talent. You know, like I said, these things have a way of working themselves out. People move positions, people, you know, get traded from the major league level, opens up spots. These things always have a way. Talent will play, unless you're the Rockies, they hate talented hitters. So, but all all the other 29 teams, talent plays, and that that talent will usually find its way into the lineup somewhere or another. So, I I think, you know, positional depth for prospects and and fantasy is way overrated. Until recently, the Orioles hated anyone that wasn't born in the U.S. They just refused to go scout and sign guys abroad right. until recently when they changed administrations finally. Um, I think we found your next writing project, at least. You can go back and figure out the percentage of players that have changed positions. I'd read that. Yeah, maybe yeah, maybe I just focus on a certain uh, – maybe I just go like the first X number of rounds from every draft or something, and then I can look at the internet, like the top – you know. X number of international guys, just make it a limited number yeah. of players just, just to get some sort of a sample size. But yeah, that actually made something. Maybe I don't know if I'll do an article or just tweet it out. I don't know. It, it'd be a good little project. Maybe I'll put it down on my, my idea board here where uh, something that passed the time, maybe like June, July or so. We still don't have any baseball, but that'd be interesting to, to kind of dig into because I do think that, like I said, at least, you know, 30 to 40 percent probably change. But obviously, you know, this is for position players, <laughs> but you know, they, you know, change positions is even, you see a lot of first baseman move to the outfield, outfield move to first base, third base move to first base. If they're, you know, not agile enough to stay over at third short move to third, if they over outgrow the position, you see all these prospects change positions. So that'd be a little fun thing to dig into for sure. 
perfect for the the idea board. I love a good idea board, and this is what idea boards are for. <laughs> <laughs> um, with with the baseball season kind of on hold here in the minor leagues, maybe not happening. Um, they, they've talked about you know having uh, the shorter MLB season with no minor leagues. How do you think that impacts things like your rankings? And uh, your draft analysis uh, of guys that you might not even see this year, because the 18-year-olds, the 19-year-olds who typically play in rookie ball or low A aren't going to get to be able to go on those expanded rosters, even if they they do expand the major league rosters. They're just they're not there yet with their development. Um, some of the older guys, it won't matter as much. But how does that affect things like your rankings and um, I don't know, affect these guys' development curve as they're coming up through the system? Yeah, it's, it's tough. That's, that's been a popular question. You know, it, it's hard, obviously, you know, I'm still, I'm always tweaking my rankings personally. And someone, I, someone asked me, you know, how could you, you know, update your rankings and make, you know, make moves in there where there's been no games played. I'm like, well, yes, that's not going to be true, but I'm always looking at, especially now when I have more time to do so, I'm always looking at video of prospects and, you know, you find something you might not have seen before or your evaluation of a, of a certain metric changes or a certain tool. So I'm always making minor adjustments. Obviously, you can't make any big adjustments without seeing them actually play. But, you know, for the guys that are just getting into full season ball, I've always thought that kind of that, that first and second year, especially the first year of full season ball, is really the most important for a prospect's development. You know, especially for like the, you know, the high school guys, you know, like the CJ Abrams, for instance, you know, the first, you know, two months, you know, when they, when they go to the Arizona league or the pioneer league or the New York Penn league or whatever it may be after they get drafted, you know, this kind of just getting their feet wet. All right. This is the minor leagues. This is how it's going to be. You know, some of them hit it on fire. Like Abrams hit around 400. Others struggles. They're still getting adjusted to the differences from, you know, translating from high school to the pros. So, that's why I don't take too, too much or try not to from just, you know, anybody's stats the first two months after they get drafted. So, but then that first full year when they go to, you know, full season ball, single A, that's when I think a lot of the shaping happens, you know, obviously it can happen before and after, but that first full year, I think is when, you know, you kind of start figuring out what type of prospect they're going to be, you know, if, if they're going to have what it takes to, you know, f- fulfill their potential or not and obviously you get you get your late bloomers and there's always exceptions to that rule but so for those guys that are like a cj abrams i think this this last year if we don't have any minor league ball it's going to be huge you know not 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 so much for the you know the double a guys you know my home ballpark 20 minutes away is double a portland for the uh, boston red sox so for those guys i don't think it'll be as much they've been in my leagues for a while some of them you know, if they're advanced enough, can go up with the expanded rosters. I think you'll see a lot of those guys do so. But, you know, and then for a guy like, you know, everyone wants to know, is Wander Franco going up? Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. As, as, as great as he is, I don't think he's ready yet. You know, he has only, what, a few handful or a couple dozen games at high A. I don't think he's ready to go all the way up to Tampa Bay. So for those guys, it's going to be tough. But for I think for the guys that are double A, triple A, obviously, the expanded rosters definitely will help. And and this trickle-down effect has a big, really big effect in, in the college ranks, I think. And we were talking a few weeks ago to Cody Hosey of the Dodgers. And he was like a, I think greater than like a sixth-round, seventh-round talent going into his, his final year at Tulane. And then he made you know adjustment to a swing. He became more patient. We were talking with him about that. 
and he blew up and he I think he hit like 395 with 24 bombs or something like that and he vaulted his way up to the first round you don't have any of those kind of pop-up guys this year it's like most of the guys that were the top guys going into that college season are for the most part the top guys right now going into the draft next month so you don't have those pop-up guys that are you know that would have had a great season this year and you know there's always a few every year there is a handful of cody hoseys that really just vault their draft stock up by having a great season and outside of uh, nick gonzalez who just went bonkers with like 12 home runs in 14 games or whatever it was you don't really have a, a lot of those guys this year. And he, obviously he was already a top prospect draft prospect in general. So it's not like that 15 games, put him on the map or anything, but you know, this has a big trickle down effect all the way down. You know, I think you're going to see a lot, even if there's, especially if there's a minor league season, you know, if they're able to do so in the fall, you'll see a fall instructs of a, a big jump. I think the Arizona fall league will be loaded. I've heard talks maybe, or maybe it was just a, an idea of doing an Arizona Fall League type of thing in Florida as well, just to get you know more teams and more rosters and more available spots for teams to get their prospects additional work. So I think you'll see a big jump in you know the amount of players taking part in Fall Instructs and the Fall League and the even the Winter Leagues as well. Expanded Arizona Fall? I didn't even think about that. That's a great idea. Like why restrict it to six teams when? Right. I don't know, do 12 in Arizona, do 12 in Florida, do whatever you want. Like it doesn't, exactly. the, the age doesn't matter for those guys. Anyway, you have low a guys playing against triple a guys. That'd be really fun. I think that would be. And obviously I don't know exactly, you know, obviously it would take a lot to you know, add teams. I don't, I'm not sure exactly how much that takes. And if they started thinking about that, I'm sure it's probably always crossed their minds to be like, all right, we might need to add some teams here if, if it's possible to do so. But yeah, you know, if do what they can do, even if it's just, you know, and I've heard talks about maybe doing like a fall instructional league where, you know, they do kind of have, they play games in fall instructs, but it's not like a league where you have stats and yeah. you know, people have a lot of, you know, access to it. Unless you go, unless you're going out there to Arizona or to Florida. So I, I think that'll be maybe a bigger impact, you know, and maybe it's something we haven't even thought of yet. So uh, I, I do think, you know, those baseball minds are at least having those conversations right now of, all right, we if we have no minor league season and only you know the upper echelon of prospects and the and the upper upper levels are getting called up to these expanded rosters, you know what are we going to do or what even can we do? Maybe we we're still in a at a point where we can't have any any you know baseball or minor league. Who knows? So it, it's obviously a weird time, but I think those talks are definitely being had, and, and hopefully they do something because you know I'm, I'm I've come to the come to the deal with that fact that I'm not going to probably see any live games during the actual season up here, obviously, maybe hopefully the fall leaks will happen as I can go out there again, but you know, it's going to be interesting for sure. Last question, probably the most important question. We, we alluded to it earlier. Korean baseball is going to be on our American televisions tonight at 10 o'clock uh, Pacific coast time. Who is your pick to win the KBO this year? Oh, I don't know if I can answer that. I, I don't really get too much. I haven't really researched. Need something enough. from you. You got to pick someone. Okay, hold on. Let me let me see here. Um, I, I mean, I know a little bit about the KBO, but I don't know. I think I'm not letting you off the hook. You're making a pick. I think who are the I think the most recent champion. Uh, I think who went last year? Do Doosan? I think we went last year. Doosan's Doosan Bears are really good. The Samsung yeah. Lions are typically pretty it, good. 
I was just reading, you know, I'll do a, a plug here for someone else here. Uh, Alex yeah. Fast and the boys at Pitcher List put out like a KBO preview today where it went over all the teams, top players, et cetera, kind of going over the league itself. That was great. So I, if anybody wants some more KBO knowledge, I'd recommend that. And I was reading that too. And for my takeaway, you know, I think I might go with Doosan. I, I know it's the, the most recent champion, you know, they're defending champs. That's kind of a, a boring answer, but. Uh, from what from what I read, they got a, they got a pretty good team again. So uh, I'll go with the Doosan Bears to repeat. Oh, Drissimer Despagne pitching tonight for the Twins. Oh, there we go. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I loved Despagne. You remember Despagne? He was on the Padres for a little bit. I I do. Yeah, if I recall, he wasn't. He's was kind of like a. He he never struck out a ton of guys, if I recall. He was like he what, threw like a 50 mile an hour curveball. Yeah, <laughs> he he kind of was like more like the smoke and mirrors, like and come at you with some weird stuff, and he was the overpower you, but. Yeah, I do remember him. It's been he's got he's been out of the league for a handful of years. I think probably like three, four, or five years. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, he was almost the first Padre to throw no hitter. I would have really loved that in our history on the stat book. I think I remember that <laughs> game. Yeah, only no hitter would be a Drissomer. Who the hell is a Drissomer Despagne? That's in ten years. <laughs> know, that, that's, um, a, that's a good trivia question for you know fifteen years in a row. Like, who's the closest Padre to ever have a no hitter? Uh, Eric, thank you so much for coming on. Loved having you. Follow him at EricCross04 on the Twitter. And hopefully we can get you back on when we have more positive things to talk about, some actual baseball and some some fantasy stuff. I'd love to hear more from you on that side. Oh, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on. It was, it was a blast talking baseball, talking some Padres prospects. And yeah, hopefully we can uh, chat again when there's a season, hopefully. All right. Big thanks again to Eric Cross. Go follow him on Twitter. Uh, go read him up on Fantrax, Prospects Live, and check out his podcast. Follow our Twitter accounts, at Fire Farmhands, if you enjoy the show. If you don't enjoy the show, you know, especially if you didn't enjoy the show, subscribe. That's all that really matters. Rate the show. You can find it on all your favorite platforms, obviously. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeart. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. Please follow Leave your comments, questions, concerns. Rate the show on all your platforms. You've been listening to the Believe in Padres Prospects podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, San Diego's number one sports podcast network. I'm Ryan Hart. We'll check in with you guys next week. I forget which pitcher it was, but then he realized that he didn't hit record and they didn't have any of it. <laughs> oh, man. He was like so excited because it was a good interview. And then he's like, oh, crap, I don't got that. That's like showing up to school and you don't realize there's a test that day and you're just like, oh, shit. I, I'm just, it's Pretty the same much. terrible feeling in your stomach. It's awful. Absolutely. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.